Well, good morning, Mount Horeb. How's everyone this morning? The rowdy crowd? Got the extra night? Oh, wait, you lost an hour of sleep last night, but I know everybody's ready. Listen, my name is Trevor Miller. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horeb and I'm Methodist Church. I'm excited to be with you this morning to open up the scriptures together for God to teach us something new, to invite us into what he's been doing for a very, very long time. Here's the truth this morning as we've been in this series. We all have a box. Like we all have some kind of limitation, some kind of four walls that we get put into from time to time. We all have some kind of box mentality that if we're really honest, we would actually love to leave and love to be done with. Because some of us, we can see like who we could be and what we could do if we could get past this particular box within our life. Typically when we say something to someone like, listen, you gotta get outside the box. What we're saying is that someone has been limited on all sides. We've been saying that someone has or does not have the ability or the desire or the tools or the interest in thinking of some kind of new way or acting in some kind of new way. And for some of us, this box that exists within our life, this box is like self-constructed. For whatever reason, we're resistant to change. And to even think of like leaving the norm is like offensive at best. And so to think about getting outside this box is a very hard thing to do. It's self-constructed, we've put it around ourselves. And for some of us, this is not self-constructed, it's been handed to us. Something out of our power, or out of our control, this box that we exist within. Maybe it's because we're fearful of the future, we have a hard time thinking about what's next. Maybe someone has certain expectations of us and we feel like it's put us in a box. Maybe our past failure has caused us to not want to try again. So whether it's stubbornness or pride, anxiety or pain, laziness, complacency, whatever it might be, we all have a box that we live within. We all have a box that we've probably brought in with us this morning. And this box is the very things that keeps us for where we want to be and keep us where we are and keep us, I believe, where God wants us to be. We stay four walls all around us. We keep boxed in. But I would argue this morning that if you find yourself today in this kind of place, boxed in, you feel like you've got these kind of past things you can't get over, then this kind of situation actually is the place where the most creative, most unique, most box-shattering opportunities actually come. And here's why. I believe limitation is the headwaters of innovation. Anybody in business in here this morning? And you know that limitation is the headwaters of innovation. We find ourselves limited in some kind of way. It causes us to think in new kinds of ways. For instance, think about the wheel. Scientists tell us that the wheel was probably invented somewhere around 3500 BCE by the Mesopotamians. Originally maybe made to make pottery, but it didn't take long for humans to see this as a way to overcome the limitation of travel and transport. We can move faster, we can move farther, and there was no longer a roadblock because of the wheel. And if we didn't have the wheel, to get up this morning, you had to get on your horse, saddle it up, and ride all the way here. You lost an hour already. This place would be like decimated. Nobody would be here this morning. But thanks to the wheel, we are. Think about electricity. Before we could ever generate electricity, flip the lights on when the sun goes down, you had a candle, you had to do the best you could. And thanks to Ben Franklin, we have paved the way for toasters, air conditioning, coffee pots, and computers. But without the limitation of night, perhaps it never would have happened. Think about Nikola Tesla and the remote communications. is developed and popularized as technology in the early 20th century. The ability to send signals through electromagnetic waves, it's given us the remote control, to which everyone said, amen. Without the remote control, we would still be getting up off the couch to have to walk forward and change the channel. Or if you have children, to tell your children, please go and change the channel for me. I was one of those kids. The flipper, the remote control, it's changed everything. And guess why? Limitation. 
Limitation is the headwaters of innovation. It takes place with our lives, takes place within the scriptures. And so maybe today, for whatever reason, you find yourself in a box, limited on all sides. Maybe the box that you have in your life is a box that's self-constructed. You've made it yourself. You've caused yourself to be in this place. Maybe this box was handed to you. You didn't do it on purpose, it's been given to you, but here you are, stuck in this box. Either way, for whatever reason you find yourself in this place, I want to give you encouragement in saying this. If you can identify your limitations, if you can see and become aware of your current boundaries, then you are in perfect position for God by the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of you to do something new within you and to move you to a new place. We've been discovering over the past few weeks as we walk through the book of Acts, this early church that too was moved into new places by God. And sometimes they were driven by mission, sometimes inspired by creativity, and sometimes they were forced into it to think differently and to move outside their box. When we began week one, we talked about the fact there was a major shift within the scriptures in the book of Acts. And that shift was from the spirit of God living and dwelling inside of a temple Now, the tearing of the veil, the Spirit of God living and dwelling inside of a new temple, a temple made of flesh. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. It changes everything. It it blows up the box that they had thought about in the book of Acts. Week two, Jeff and Bryce did a great job with sharing with us that as Jesus gave his instructions to his disciples to become witnesses, he was inviting them into leaving their box and taking the good news of the gospel to all places near and far. And last week, if you were in this room, you heard a great message by Janice Albergati, did we not? Janice brought a great message to us, sharing with us that if we wanna move from our boxes, we've gotta go from a, a me culture to a we culture. Being able to see that there are people in need around us and we celebrate when people get outside the box to meet those needs. This morning, I saw many people, both services, bringing food and goods to the Lexington, um, the Lexington Mission Lexington food truck right outside the church this morning. It's a great response to that invitation. Today, I wanna look at one more major turn in the book of Acts. One that I believe if we can see it will help us embrace the mission of God that he's invited us into. That can help us get out of the boxes that we find ourselves in and experience all that God has for us. So this morning, if you find yourself in a box, you're in perfect position. You're also in good company because the early church in the book of Acts, this gospel movement also found itself facing a box. A few weeks ago, we looked at Acts chapter one, the very first chapter of this book, and we find out that Jesus said to the disciples, listen, wait here for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Because when this power comes, you will be my witnesses, and you will take the good news of Jesus from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the very ends of the earth. And for six chapters through the first part of the book of Acts, the church is exploding by the thousands, people are, are becoming Christians and they're, they're leaving Judaism, becoming these this followers of Jesus, adding thousands at a time. The news of this man, Jesus, who didn't just die but rose from the dead three days later is a message they can't resist because the power of the resurrection is the very thing that, that makes him the Messiah they've been waiting for, the one who would come forgive their sins and give them a full life, not just one day when they die, but right here and right now. That was a message they were flocking to in droves. In fact, so many people were coming to, into the church that the apostles could no longer preach and teach and do all they were doing and take care of the, the many converts who were coming in, so they decided to appoint seven new people to help take care of the physical needs of the church. One of those people was a man named Stephen. Everyone say Stephen. You may have heard of this guy, this man Stephen. He's one of the seven that is chosen to help within the church. 
Here's what it says in Acts chapter six. We find out more about Stephen in verse eight. It says, now Stephen, a man full of God's power and grace, performed great wonders and signs among the people. The momentum of the church was amazing through the people that were serving within the church. But then it says this in, in verse nine, the very beginning, two words. What's it say? Opposition arose. Opposition arose. Limitation. Boxed in. In seven chapters of Acts, this is for the very first time we're seeing a pushback against the advancement of the gospel. As thousands were coming to the church, as Stephen was doing great and wonderful things, now there was opposition. It began to rise up against them. And we see Stephen now, he's put on trial falsely because he refuses to give back on the fact that he believes Jesus Christ is Lord. And I would argue in these particular verses, we find out that there is a greatest threat to the gospel movement then, but also it's the greatest threat to the gospel movement now introduced to us. In fact, it's not those who are rising up in opposition to them. The greatest threat is different. The greatest threat I believe we see in the story of Stephen is this, his choice between either choosing comfort or conviction. Choosing comfort or conviction. It's the turning point to what happens that this momentum of the church continues to grow. Stephen's falsely accused. He's put on trial. He's given a choice. How will you handle this? You see, for many of us this morning as we've come in here today, no matter what our professed values are as Christians, many of us still hold our personal comfort as a value above everything. It's our highest value. And the reason is because I believe we live in a culture that has it as the highest value. I'll give you some examples. You know, we live in a culture that has invented companies of the likes of Grubhub and DoorDash. I wanna be clear, I'm not hating on either one because I really like them actually. But you can pay someone to go to a restaurant that you click some buttons on your phone for and you paid for, they pick it up and they bring it to your house and they drop it on your porch and never even gotta see anybody. And then you walk out and get your pizza and you get to enjoy it or whatever. Grubhub, DoorDash, again, I use it a lot. But because we don't wanna get in our car and drive some miles to go get food, it should become convenient for us. It's, it's comfort for us. I'll give you another example. We can shop on our phones, click some buttons, and you can buy anything you want from Amazon. And if you pick the right thing with Amazon Prime, it can be there in a couple days so you don't have to wait around for it. And if you do, you get mad about it, don't you? Be honest. This was Amazon Prime, and it's been four days. We wanna be comfortable. In our culture, we have a chair that is called a lazy boy. I'm just gonna leave that there. In our culture, the highest value, I would argue, is for comfort, especially in the Western world. We want comfort above everything else. Unfortunately, within our churches, like many things within culture, that mentality has seeped into the place that we call church. And so often, rather than these gatherings of believers on, on a Sunday morning being a rallying place for fearless followers of Jesus Christ, to be convicted about what God has done within their life, to then drive their selfish, re, uh, gracious, radical, sacrificial love for the world throughout the week, it's become largely just one more option in a smorgasbord of all kinds of things that we can choose. On par with things like travel baseball, Netflix binging, college football, Spotify playlists. Do I want church or not? What kind of church do I want? As Janice said last week, we, we go church shopping. We choose church based upon if they play the songs we like, if the pastor is dressing trendy, I'm sorry. Or if we can have coffee in the auditorium. 
Is it comfortable? Then maybe I'll go. See, Alan Hirsch in his book, Forgotten Ways, an amazing book, he details the history that shows us the growth of the church throughout history has been most staggering when comfort has taken a back seat. You see, the church has always been at its best when it's on the fringes, not the center of culture, on the fringes. Historians believe that in AD 100, not long after Jesus' death and resurrection, there was as few as 25,000 Christians worldwide. AD 100. By AD 310, 200 years later, that number had grown to 20 million. 200 years, 25,000 to 20 million. How? How does that happen? How do you see that kind of exponential growth? Keep in mind that during this time, the church, it was an illegal religion, at best tolerated, at worst persecuted. They didn't have church buildings like we know them now, no soft, cushy chairs or sound system, no printed Bible in their hands, no seeker-sensitive services, no youth group, no worship bands, no lights, no seminaries, and yet it continued to grow. Another example is the underground church in China. When Mao Zedong took over power and began the systematic purge of religion from Chinese society, the Christian church numbered two million in China. After he took over, he banished all foreign missionaries, nationalized all church property, killed all senior leadership, banished public meetings, and perpetuated the cruelest persecution of Christians on record. At the end, when church officials were allowed to come back into the country many years later, they expected the church to be decimated. They figured there'd be none of the two million Christians who were originally there, but instead what they found that shocked them was that it had grown to nearly 60 million followers of Jesus. Some say 80 million. How? How's that possible? As there was such opposition against them. John Wesley's Methodist movement, the thing you're a part of, you don't even know that this morning. As the Methodist movement came to America, it numbered fewer than 2% of the population in 1776. By 1850, the movement claimed membership of 34% of the population. How is that possible? How could there be this kind of growth? Simply put, it's this. It's because Christians throughout history have chosen conviction over comfort. They believe so strongly in Jesus they would give up comfort at all costs. It shatters their box. It forces them to think creatively. It demands innovation, new perspectives. In some way, this past year has been a taste of this for the church. Over the past year, during this COVID season, we've had to figure out how to make a physical church digital really, really quick. How to make a church that can still share the gospel through digital services, Instagram, Facebook Live, Zoom calls, socially distant gatherings, you name it. And perhaps it has caused us to think for the very first time in a long time, what truly matters? Conviction or comfort? So what about us? Largely, the church worldwide still faces persecution for their faith. Opposition still rises against them. But in the Western church, we are largely insulated from this. So for most of us, the hardest decision we make on a Sunday morning is I'm gonna wear a mask and go to the auditorium where I watch it online. Maybe for some of us this morning, the hardest decision you made was, what am I gonna wear today? And though this may be seen as a good thing, I would argue it's actually not. It may be one of the reasons why the church in the West is declining at alarming pace, while the church worldwide is exploding. In places like Africa, Central America, Korea, the church is exploding, advancing, but not here. 
And I would wonder if it's because we have chosen comfort because we don't want our faith to cost us anything. We don't want to be judged for what we believe. We don't want to take time out of our schedule to serve. We want to be able to do what we want to do on a weekend without having to worry what people might think. Comfort or conviction. See, Stephen, he's faced with this choice as he's put on trial. Does he stay silent or does he speak up? Does he keep quiet or will he take the punishment that may come if he speaks up? And in chapter seven, after he is taken and put into trial as the church has been exploding, opposition arises. Chapter seven, Stephen has to make this decision. The Bible tells us in chapter seven that Stephen gives a powerful sermon. All of chapter seven is dedicated to what what Stephen says here. And he says a lot of things. He gives the whole history of, the, of the, the history of Israel, a God who's pursued his people no matter what, from the very beginning to the very end. He chooses words that are blistering remarks, things like unfaithfulness of God's people, their unwillingness to see Jesus as the hope of the world. He uses words like stiff-necked people, betrayal, and resistance to the Spirit. He's not making friends. Stephen says all this in chapter seven. At the very end, he makes the religious elite so angry with him, they decide to kill him. Here's what it says in chapter seven, the very end, verse uh, 57 through 60. It says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to the heavens and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. By the way, one of only two places in scripture where Jesus in the heavens is standing. He says, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and they rushed, in the top of their voices, and they rushed him. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then it says that when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, I'll be clear, he didn't fall asleep. This is a way in the New Testament of talking about death. Stephen gave up his life. He was, he was stoned to death. So I want to remind you that this particular book, the book of Acts, is written by the same person who wrote another book called Luke. And that author's name is what? Luke. <laughs> good, very good. We'll start over next week. So Luke wrote the book of Luke, and Acts is a continuation of that book. They're one and the same. He's telling one full story about the acts of the apostles that came out of this man, Jesus, and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And Stephen is killed for his faith. Because of his conviction, he gives up, gives up comfort. He's the first recorded Christian martyr or someone who gave up their faith or gave up their life and was killed because of the religious convictions. And the author, Luke, wants us to see something very important here, two things. As you see Stephen being stoned, he says something very interesting in verse 59. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Who does that sound like? Jesus. Luke records it in Luke 23 when Jesus said this on the cross. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Verse 60, when when Stephen is being stoned, he says, Lord, do not hold these sins against them. Who does that sound like? Jesus. Luke records in chapter 23, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. 
See, Stephen is, is replaying, playing out the death of Jesus Christ. Christ on the cross, Stephen stoned to death. Luke wants us to see the connections between this Messiah who was crucified on a cross by the most powerful nation on the earth at that point in time and this early Christian named Stephen who was stoned to death by a group of powerful religious elites. Each murder is a catalyst for the growth of the church. Each murder is a movement outside of the box. Because the author wants us to see that true power, hear me this morning, is not in crosses and stones, but it's in sacrifice and death. True power is not found in a Roman cross with the Jewish elite with stones in their hands, but it's in sacrifice and death. The reason the church exploded in the early church in the ancient Near East, the reason the church exploded in communist China, the reason the church exploded the early part of our nation is because there was a group of people who believed that the world is not transformed and the kingdom does not come or manifest in front of us through power of sword or power over, but only through sacrifice and power under. This is outside the box kind of thinking. And for the early church, it was changing everything. And to be honest with you, it's incredibly convicting for me. Because the question is, what do you think power looks like as an American, as a Western person? What do you think power looks like? It's revealed in the way that we parent. It's revealed in the way that we vote. It's revealed in the way that we deal with conflict. It's revealed in how resilient we are in the face of trial. It's revealed in how we think about God. What do we think about power? I mean, how do we see the end of human trafficking and children being sold worldwide? How does that happen? How do we see a world where there's not racial inequality? How do we see a world where everyone has enough food to eat? How do we see a world where people don't love because they are politically motivated, but because they are spirit convicted? How do we see that world come to pass? It's not through power of the sword. It's through the power of sacrifice and death. See, during this COVID season, it's become very, very clear to me that we can't just muscle our way out of this. We're used to that, though, aren't we? This, this virus does not care how skilled we are. doesn't matter what your name is, what kind of position you hold. doesn't matter. We can't muscle our way out of this. And so because of this, the way we help people, the way we serve people, the way we move as a church has to be different. My family and I had the opportunity during this season to take care of some people that we really love and care about who were hit hard by this kind of COVID difficulty. And so there have been a couple of times over the past year that we've put together little care packages and taken it to certain people because we want them to know we love them, we want to take care of them. And one day we were packing this box with some stuff and we had an envelope that we put some cash in and we were putting it into the box to take it to someone. And while we were packing all this, my youngest son, Owen, ran back to his room and he came back to the living room. He had $3 with him. He's like, I want this money to go in the envelope. I'm like, baby, you don't have to do that. You don't have to take those $3. We're taking care of it. It's all good. You can go with us. We can hand the box together, but you don't need to put the $3 in there. You can keep that's your allowance. I said, Dad, I have three other dollars. He didn't realize there were three fives, so he had $15, but that's math and it's a little advanced. I already have three. He said, I don't need these three dollars. I want to help. I want to help. I wish I had that mentality all the time. To recognize the way the world changes is through sacrifice. Sometimes small, sometimes big. A sacrifice of time, a sacrifice of energy, a sacrifice of power, willing to give it up 
all resources to see the world made right. Do you wanna be a part of that? It's been going on for a very long time. God's been on the move for a very long time. It's nothing new, but we're invited into it. Do you wanna be a part of it? Because if you do, it's going to cost you something. It's sacrificial in nature. It's a death of some kind, but it's what power looks like. Am I willing to sacrifice my comfort in order to allow God to use me personally to usher in the kingdom of God into this culture that we live in right here and right now? So Stephen's killed for his faith. He's killed because of his convictions. He's killed because he speaks up. And after Stephen's death, there's a major shift in the story that begins in chapter eight. And this particular shift is the one I wanna look at. In Acts chapter eight, verse one through three, here's what it says after Stephen's stoning. It says, and Saul approved of their killing of him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church where? In, say it, Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged both men and women and he put them into prison. A great persecution broke out in the church. Christians all over began to lose their lives. They became imprisoned. They were tortured for their faith. And notice what the author says. Where does it start? It starts in Jerusalem. And all but the apostles then were scattered in all places, including Judea and Samaria. What do you notice about those words? Chapter eight, verse one, we're reading right here. Chapter one, verse eight, what did Jesus say? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You'll take the good news of the gospel, the resurrected Jesus Christ, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the very ends of the earth. Seven chapters of Acts so far, it hasn't happened. The church is exploding at an incredible rate. For seven chapters, it's not left Jerusalem. It's all stayed there until what? Persecution. Until the death of Stephen. And it's because of this particular persecution, this death of Stephen, that now all but the apostles began to be scattered. Scattered from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. I wanna be clear here. I don't believe God enjoys the persecution of his church. I think it breaks his heart. I don't think God meant for this, this uprising to come against his people. I don't think he did it, but he's not going to waste it. Jesus' intention from the very beginning is this good news of the gospel would go everywhere. It wouldn't just be in Jerusalem. It would go everywhere, and it hasn't happened yet until persecution happens. The author says that it causes everyone but the apostles to be scattered. It's the Greek word diaspero. It means this, to scatter like seed or to be sown. To scatter like seed or to be sown. It's agricultural language. Everyone in the original hearers and readers would have understood this. They knew what a farmer would do as he would walk into the field and sow seed and scatter it everywhere, hoping that, that sun would come and rain would come and that seed would grow and create a harvest somewhere. This is what the author is trying to say is happening within the church. Because of the discomfort, because of persecution, because of the death of Stephen, now everyone is scattering everywhere like seed to produce a harvest, to take good news of the gospel from Judea to Samaria and eventually to the very end of the earth. I wanna tell you today, the reason you're sitting in these chairs is because of what took place in Acts chapter eight. 
the good news left Jerusalem. It was for all people. I believe that if we wanna learn what God wants for our lives, specifically if we're ever gonna leave our boxes, this is a very important principle for us box dwellers today. And it's this. Discomfort is the only way that we really ever leave our boxes. Discomfort is the only way that we ever really leave our boxes. I wish it wasn't so, but it is. You know, oftentimes the church, we're like this. We wanna get into our little box. This is what God's like. The four walls of the church, the world's scary out there. There's a lot going on. Everybody just get in here. We'll sing our songs. We'll eat some donuts. It'd be nice if we could eat some donuts one day. Drink our coffee, sing our songs, see the trendy pastor, all these things. And not only that, but we get into our box and then we invite everybody else in too. Listen, just come with me. We'll all get in the box together. It'll feel great. We'll talk really good. We'll do a lot of fun stuff. Get in the box. Best weekend ever. We'll do all these things. But when we do this, we're missing the point. The box is meant to be obliterated. To see this gospel is not meant just for us. It's meant for Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, for all people. We can't just get in our box and stay, as comfortable as it might be. And for a lot of us, what takes, has to take place is a discomfort of some kind. A couple years ago, I started to go to seminary, kind of working my way to ordination within the Methodist Church. And it was convenient to go downtown Columbia because I could drive there, take a couple classes in one day, and then come back and continue my work throughout the week. And so I started doing that a couple years ago. And I went to a seminary downtown, and to be honest with you, it was the first time that I'd ever sat in an educational setting where my skin color was not the primary skin color in the room. Where my background, my understanding, my way of thinking was not the primary way that everybody else in the room had understood things. And for most of my life, elementary school, middle school, high school, college, undergrad, that's kind of how my life went. It wasn't on purpose, I didn't choose that, it's just kind of how things were. I was always kind of the majority within the room. So when I started seminary a couple of years ago, we started having conversations in the room. We were talking about things about God, about what God wants for the world, what he desires for the world, this great commission, the movement of, of God throughout all different places. And we started to have conversations based upon what's happening in the room that, that honestly made me a little bit uncomfortable, made me feel a little bit guilty because some of the ways that maybe I had been a part of certain things or had a certain mentality or thought in a certain kind of way. And I started to listen to stories of brothers and sisters don't have the same skin color as me, not the same background, grew up in different places. I began to hear their stories and, and all of a sudden I began to realize that my view of God had been put into a box without really even knowing it. That the way I understood the way God worked and the things that he desired for the world, I put him in a box without really even knowing it, not meaning to. I always told myself, I lived in the Dominican Republic for part of my growing up years. I mean, I knew what it was like to be in a, a culture where I was not the majority. The truth was there was a lot for me to learn still. Hearing stories from these folks and listening to their backgrounds, it began to do something within me. It began to explode my box. I began to think very differently about what I was a part of in this Christian movement. I'll be clear with you today. It didn't make me feel bad about where I come from or what I look like. It made me feel empowered that I have the opportunity to join God in working in the world to make things right, to restore his good creation, and for some, perhaps this morning, when you hear me tell this story, you hear me say things that, that feel very political. I'll be honest with you, it's not political for me. It's not about politics, it's about people. And it was a box that God wanted to move me out of. That's just my story. 
I mean, all of us have our own box that we've been placed within. All of us have our own discomfort that can move us from there, but unless we allow it to, we'll never move. Maybe for you, you've always felt like this is what God is like, but now you're reading certain things within scripture that is challenging that kind of understanding. And because it's challenging that kind of understanding, it's becoming uncomfortable for you, but maybe God is trying to teach you and show you what he's like. Maybe for you, you've always been comfortable to come into a service, sit on the back row, as soon as the sermon is over, you are out, and now all of a sudden you're sensing that God is wanting you to serve in some kind of way. Maybe get involved a little bit deeper, and it feels uncomfortable to you. Maybe you feel like God's calling you to work with middle school kids. I know. Talk about uncomfortable. Come on Wednesday nights. But what if that's the only way God can move you into a new season of your life? to mature you in really necessary ways to make you grow deeper in your relationship with him. Maybe for you, like, you've never really thought about the fact that there are children all around the world who are hungry, and you've seen Compassion International now and the opportunity to sponsor a child, but 30-some bucks a month seems like a whole lot, and so you realize that stepping out of your comfort zone may actually change a child's life forever. You know, right now, this church is beginning to fill back up as things are beginning to change kind of nationwide and worldwide. And we're seeing more and more folks come to worship, more and more children come to worship. I just wanna be honest with you, we're in need of people who are willing to step out and get uncomfortable, to come and serve our children in our church, our students in our church, to help welcome folks on a Sunday morning in all kinds of other ways. If you're interested in serving because you think it's the next step for you, you can simply email us at serve at mounthorbumc.com. We'd love to get you connected, get you plugged in and see what God's gonna do next because your box is being blown apart. Come and join us. We believe God's on the move and wanna join him for it. Until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change, we will always remain in our boxes. Until that pain is greater, we will always remain in our boxes. And for some of us, we will miss out on what God longs to do in us and through us. Stephen's persecution, his stoning and his death, Jesus Christ on the cross, his death, are painful catalysts that send the seed of the gospel scattered near and far. It's the reason we're here this morning. The early church father, Tertullian, when he was writing in the late 100s AD, here's what he said. As he observed everything, he said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. As persecution took place, it's the very thing that caused the church to grow. For Tertullian, this was not hyperbole. He would have seen it happen right in front of witness Christians who would lose their life, radically committed, uh, committed to the conviction rather than setting aside comfort because they were so devoted to God. So what was taking place in the ancient Near East, so what took place in China, the worse the persecution grew, the greater the church grew. And this is what the world simply did not understand. I think it's what the world doesn't understand during this season as well. No matter how hard things have gotten, the church has stepped up, continued to love, continued to serve, continued to pray, continued to gather, continued to take care of one another, no matter how difficult the opposition was. See, Jesus' life, it foreshadows all of this. In John chapter 12, there's something that Jesus says that is a foreshadowing of everything. In John chapter 12, verse 24, here's what he says. He says, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus is that kernel of wheat. 
Unless it falls to the ground and dies, it will not produce seed that will go everywhere. What's the purpose of an apple tree? What's an apple tree do? It doesn't make apples. I mean, it does. That's not the primary purpose. Primary purpose is to create other apple trees that produce apples themselves. And the only way this takes place is apples have to fall from the tree, hit the ground, die. Those seeds then become the very beginnings of new life. You know what it looks like? Resurrection. And you can't have resurrection without first having death. Luke is telling this whole story about these seeds that are now going because of the persecution of Stephen. And before that took place, Jesus Christ was killed on a Roman cross, laid in the tomb, buried in the tomb, just like Stephen was buried and mourned by those who loved him. And because of those two actions, it caused the seed of the gospel to go everywhere, near and far, and begin to produce a harvest. So the apostles are scattered and sown like seed from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, the very ends of the earth. They're scattered and they, they're scattered with intention because Jesus had an intention for that to happen. Here's what it says in Acts chapter eight, verse four, the very end of the story. It says, those who had been scattered, sown like seed, preached the word wherever they went. See, they were well-equipped with the good news of Jesus Christ. This man who died, who didn't stay dead, who resurrected from the grave, who forgives us of our sins and who makes us brand new. They had it with them. They became witnesses wherever they went. Maybe they were the first. They weren't the last. Many, many people after them, Christians throughout history, have walked the same path, who've known what it's like to give up comfort to choose conviction and be a part of sharing this good news of Jesus. We are the same. But here's the question. Are you willing this morning to recognize that we come from a long line of scattered ones? We come from a long line of scattered ones. If we allow ourselves, if we allow ourselves to see whatever discomfort has come into our life, trying to move us from the boxes that we exist within, to see this kingdom life take place. You see, sacrifice is not a one-size-fits-all. For some people, the sacrifice that we'll choose to give will take place right here in this community, and it'll change the world. For some of us, the sacrifice that we may choose, like my family did when I was in elementary school, may mean giving up everything and moving to a faraway place to be a part of this work of God. Beginning of this series, you received a box. And if you don't have one of these boxes, you can go online to our church website and you can find the same information right there digitally. And in this box, there are many, many things that we wanna challenge you with each and every week. And this week, we have a card in there that comes from one of 12 different missionaries that we support as a church. And these missionaries are serving all over the place, some places that are very difficult, some places that are full of trials, some places that are downright dangerous. We wanna encourage you as a family or as an individual to read that card that's in your box or what you can find online. I wanna encourage you to read those stories, the prayer concerns from those folks who are serving. Pray for them. Think about them. We have a thank you card in that box as well that we encourage you to write as a family or an individual to thank those missionaries for serving wherever they are, for giving up comfort and choosing conviction to be a part of what God is doing within the world. You can take those cards, bring them back next Sunday, the 21st. We'll have places for you to drop them or on Monday at the mission house, you can drop them there too. We're gonna take those cards and give it as an encouragement to people who are serving everywhere, who sees this as the most important thing within their life. 
What an opportunity as a church to see the seed of the gospel go both near and far. So I wanna invite you this morning. I wanna invite you to choose conviction over your comfort. I wanna invite you to allow discomfort perhaps to help you leave the box that you find yourself in. That you might be a part of the great work that God's been a part of for a very long time and we are invited to join him in. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we come before you today. I guess I can really only speak for myself, God, but I consider it a great honor to be a part of this great line of scattered ones. I thank you, God, that you've equipped us with the good news of the gospel, the resurrected Jesus Christ. We carry it with us wherever we go. And so whether it's at Kroger in Irmo or someplace here in Lexington or whether it's far from here, God, I pray that you would use us to make a difference in this world. We want to join you in what you're doing. We wanna join you in being part of making this world right. Give us boldness. Embolden us in the face of opposition. We might be true to your gospel. We might be true to your word. We might be true to Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you this morning. And we're thankful Would you move us out of the boxes that we find ourselves in today to experience you anew and afresh? It's in your name that we pray, amen.